0: Jesus is better. You know, if you go to our Oikos uh, Cafe here on campus, you'll know that on every glass wall we have a phrase, and that's one of those phrases. And I wonder if some people wonder, Jesus is better than what? Is he better than coffee? I mean, I know uh, there are uh, some sayings out there in coffee mugs and t shirts that, um, that talk about Jesus and coffee. I think there's one that says, All I need today is a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. And uh, I'm thinking, I know some people that need a lot more of Jesus and a lot less coffee. Um, but Jesus is better is this catchy phrase. Is, you know, um, we resonate with it, don't we? We know that it, it bears true truth. Uh, but what does it really mean when we say Jesus is better? Uh, today we're going to begin our summer sermon series uh, that begin today. It will end uh, in the middle of August. And it's going to be a chapter-by-chapter chapter study of the letter to the Hebrews. And we've called it Jesus is Better because that's really the primary theme of Hebrews. It's, it's one of the things that really stands out as we read the letter. And so as we walk together through this letter, I hope that you will experience this idea of of the supremacy of Jesus. Some of you may be interested in the theological aspect of that. You say, well, what does really Hebrews say about who Jesus is, his nature, his character? Theologically speaking, some some people say the Christology of Hebrews, and, and that's important. Some of you may be more interested in the spiritual aspect when we say Jesus is better. What does that mean in terms of my faith, in terms of how I can trust Jesus, how I can grow in relationship with Jesus? Uh, It might be a spiritual formation uh, thing that attracts you to this series, I hope. Uh, Or maybe you have an ethical concern and you say, when Jesus is better, what does that mean to the way I live? What does that mean to the way I relate to myself, the way I relate to my neighbor, the way I relate to my community, my country, my world? That's the ethical aspect of it. Well, I I would say to you that all of these aspects, the theological, the spiritual, and the ethical, all are bound together in this book, in this idea of who Jesus is. And I submit to you that the image that you have of Jesus will affect how you feel about him. It will affect how you relate to him. And it will spill over into how you live. So that's why it's hugely important that you have a solid understanding of what the Bible says about Jesus. And I want us to pause for a moment. I'm going to show you some images here on the screen to ask you which of these images is really representative of your view of Jesus. For example, uh, this this one uh, image, uh, here, here are several, but this next one here, uh, maybe for some of you, this is European-looking Jesus. It's kind of stoic. He's it's, it's kind of uh, some kind of mystic, perhaps. Maybe for some of you, that's who Jesus is. Or maybe this one, uh, it's a little more uh, Eastern. Uh, it's the uh, ascended Jesus with his wounds, and, and he's still kind of pensive and passive there. For some of you, maybe that's who Jesus is. Some of you would like to have Jesus look like this, just... A cool Jesus that can relate to the young people that can, that can be just hip Jesus. Or some of you have this picture that I have from my childhood Bible stories that Jesus is the one who loves the little children. He welcomes them uh, because theirs is the kingdom of God. Others maybe relate to a painting like this one where Jesus is uh, brought down from the cross and he's in his mother's arms and and you feel the compassion for his mother, for what she must be experiencing. You also wonder how this person can save you or help you, uh, perhaps. Or maybe you see Jesus as one who embraces the sinner, who embraces the sick and heals them and helps them out. Or maybe... Uh, you have this image of Jesus as an icon in a cathedral holding a huge Bible, which I'm trying to figure out how he did that before the printing press. But, you know, maybe that's what you're thinking. Or Jesus, the good shepherd who takes care of uh, sheep and cares for them and rescues them and, and leads them. Or maybe the suffering Jesus who who died on the cross, who can identify with your pain, who, who walks with you in your suffering. Maybe you think of Jesus as the Easter Jesus, the one who rose from the dead and who died but but didn't stay in the tomb. Some of you uh, maybe have more of a picture of Jesus as, as this Jewish carpenter who became a famous rabbi. Uh, whatever image you may have affects Your spiritual life, it affects the way that you live. And I would say, all of these images that I show you hold some truth about Jesus, it's some angle of who Jesus is. But if any of those images dominate your entire view of Jesus, your entire perspective of Jesus, then I would say to you that you need to grow your knowledge. You need to grow your perspective. You need to grow your view of Jesus. And so I hope that as we explore the book of Hebrews together, that you will come to know Jesus in a bigger way. If, if you don't know Jesus, I hope that this study will help you to know him personally. If you've known Jesus for a long time, maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years for some of you, I hope that this brings a new dimension you walk with Jesus that you will grow deeper in your relationship with him if you're at a point in your Christian life where, where you hear Jesus is better and it sounds cliche-ish and your life is your spiritual life is kind of stale I hope you will break out of that I hope the spirit of God will speak to you through his word and that you will come to a point where you grow and experience him in a way that you haven't before So let's jump into our text. We're going to go chapter by chapter, and we begin with Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, the introduction to the letter, and it reads like this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Bible scholars agree that this is one of the most beautiful passages in the New Testament. If you would to look at the Greek, you you would know that the author has used alliteration. That means every, a lot of words start with the same letter. Uh, the concepts are arranged in a way that is rhythmic. is is poetic prose uh, is the genre that that is here, and and uh, and it just flows uh, like someone who who's been thinking a lot about these words. But but it's not just a beautiful passage. It is packed with powerful truths that we see here. This letter is different from many of the other letters in the New Testament that you are familiar with. You know that often in a New Testament letter, the author identifies himself. For example, he might say, Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he says whom he's writing to. Uh, and, And he might be writing to the church in Philippi, or to the church in Corinth, or to the church in Rome, or to the church in Colossae. And you know something about the audience that's receiving this letter for the first time and it helps you understand. But the author of Hebrews doesn't do that. He does not identify himself and he does not identify his intended audience. And so it's called Hebrews because we can tell that he's writing to people that are very familiar with Jewish scriptures and Jewish Judaism uh, and Jewish culture and, 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 and the God of the Hebrews But as we look at this, it it almost feels like it's not someone who took a pen and started writing a letter. It feels like someone's preaching and someone is transcribing that sermon. And what we do know about it is that it's about Jesus. That it's about the supremacy of Jesus. That Jesus is better. And then he unpacks this idea throughout the 13 chapters that we're going to look at in the next three months or so. But today, just from these four verses, I want to draw out a couple of things that we can talk about. The first one is that Jesus is better because he reveals God. That's the first declaration of the letter. This letter jumps right in to what it's about. And it tells us that God has spoken in the past in in different ways at different times through the prophets, but now... He's spoken in his son. We we get this impression, this idea from the very beginning that God is a God of revelation. This is really where the good news begins. That the God of the heavens, the eternal God, who was, who is, and who is to come, the mighty one, the holy one of Israel, the transcendent God, The one who who is almighty and all-knowing and all-powerful has spoken. He's spoken to us. He's spoken to his people. He wants to make himself known. He doesn't want to stay a mystery. He he doesn't want to stay behind the curtain. He, He wants to pull the curtain back so that we can see him and know him. God spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden and revealed something about himself. He spoke to Abram as he journeyed and called him and established a covenant with him. He he spoke to Moses in the burning bush. He spoke to, to his people, the Hebrews, when they were being oppressed in Egypt by the mighty acts that he performed to deliver them. He spoke to them as they journeyed through the desert and as they arrived in the promised land. He sent prophets to them that would speak God's word to them. He spoke in the thunder He spoke in the cloud. God spoke in the stone tablets. He spoke through the prophets, through their words and their symbols, their object lessons, their events. He spoke in a still small voice sometimes. He spoke in their visions, in their dreams. And he spoke through angels. Angels are messengers of God. And every time he spoke, he reveals something about himself, something about who he is. At the burning bush, he he was telling us that he's a God who cares when we are oppressed, when we are suffering, that he hears our prayer and he wants to deliver us. At Mount Sinai, where the stone tablets are given, God, God reveals that he's a holy God and that he wants a holy people. Through Jeremiah, he lets us know that when his people disobey him, there are consequences, that there is a judgment that comes when we don't obey God. Through Amos, he lets us know that he's a God of justice and he expects his people to act justly, to be fair. In Hosea, he tells us that he's like a husband who forgives over and over again, a wife who has been unfaithful because he loves his people. In Isaiah, God reveals that he is the one who has chosen an anointed one to deliver his people and to start a new era. In Jonah, we see that God is the one who not only loves the Jews, but he loves other nations, and he wants them to come to repentance so that they can experience his grace. Many times, and in many ways, God has spoken to his people. And in every generation... The knowledge of God has increased. Israel knew something about God more in every generation. In every aspect that he spoke, in every instance he spoke, God was saying, I love you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be known by you, and I want you to know me. That's why the Jews treasured the Torah the the Pentateuch, the the law. That's why they treasured the the law and the prophets because it was in the scriptures that God had revealed himself. It was in the scriptures that they could come to know the God who loved them and who established a covenant with them. What a great gift that was. What a great gift was to have the law and the prophets for the people of God. But now the writer of Hebrews says, in these last days, God has spoken in a bigger way than the Torah, than the prophets, than the scriptures. In these last days, God has given us an ultimate word. In these last days, God has spoken by his son, in his son. Jesus, the son, reveals God. The prophets knew something about God. But Jesus is God. The angels delivered messages from God, but Jesus is the message. The scriptures introduce aspects of God, but Jesus is the fullness of God. Very likely this letter, as we mentioned before, was written to Jewish Christians who were familiar with the Torah and the prophets, with the God of the Hebrews. And in their view of history, they saw human history in two parts. There was the present age, the age where evil still had its way, the age where they were struggling, the age where they were living and waiting, where they had to be faithful to the covenant God. And then there was the age to come. In between the present age and the age to come was the day of the Lord. And the age to come was when God would come and make everything right. And they looked forward to that. The prophets announced that age to come. And the writer of Hebrews is declaring here to those that are reading for the first time that the present age, the age where, where they're struggling, where they're sojourners, the, the age where they're trying to be faithful, that that present age has now become the past. God has spoken in the past. In many ways, and many times to the prophets, that's the past. But now, now there's something new. God has sent his son And in his son, he's ushering a new age. The last days, these last days, he says, it's a new era. The old covenant was pointing to the new covenant. The new covenant is the fulfillment of that old covenant. Jesus reveals God. He's that last revelation, that last word. What an important thing that is. My wife and I enjoy watching series, time period series, uh, mostly that are set in medieval times in Europe and with kings and battles and armies. And, and, and sometimes we watch all the seasons that come out and, and uh, sometimes we're sad when the last season comes and we finish it and then we go, what now? Uh, recently we, we discovered that one of our favorite series that came out with a new season and this, one, this time they said it was really the last season. And so we, uh, uh, we made a point to watch it, and we enjoyed it. And then this last week, we came to the grand finale. And uh, it was everything we wanted it to be. It was great. It had a good ending, and, and we were satisfied. If they don't come up with any more seasons, we're good. And then I, I, as I was thinking about that, I thought about what the Bible says here, that this ultimate grand finale of God's story It's much greater than any TV series that you could watch. It's more than a story. It is about a Savior that has entered into our reality. It it echoes the beginning of the Gospel of John that you may be familiar with in John chapter 1 where it says in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then if you go to verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the word that was in the beginning, before everything was created, Jesus was there. Jesus was with God. The word was God. the 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 Greek for that is logos. Jesus is the logos of God, and all that that entails and it means He reveals God. It it, it says here back in our text in Hebrews. It says that he's the radiance of God's glory. You know the difference between the moon and the sun, right? You know that the moon can only reflect the light that the sun gives, right? There's something going on with the moon tonight. I think people are going to be watching that. The moon can only reflect the light of the sun, but you know the sun emanates its own light. Now, you and I, we can be like the moon. We can reflect the glory of god to a certain extent but jesus is the radiance of god's glory that means he emanates the glory of god that's what the hebrews writer wants us to know he reveals that glory of god he's the exact representation of god the greek word is character that means he he in, in nature and essence god the father is the same as god the son Every revelation that people received before that was a shadow. Every revelation that people received before Jesus was a figure, a symbol. But Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all revelation. He's better because he reveals God. Secondly, he's better because he rules creation. Some people have been following uh, Queen Elizabeth II and her health issues, she's been queen for 70 years, and in those 70 years she's only missed the opening of parliament two times, and those two times was because she was pregnant. But this last time, uh, we see that she missed it because of her health, and we see her son, Prince Charles, sitting there opening parliament, and, and we see the, the crown of the queen there, and, and you get this feeling that something's about to change, that, that something's about to give, and I think about the fact that even in a world where democracy is more powerful than the monarchy, people still care about who sits on the throne. Even if, if the monarch of the UK is really a symbolic figure, she doesn't have a lot of power, people are still comforted by knowing who is in charge, who uh, wears the crown, who sits on the throne. Well, the Bible tells us here. That there's one who has been appointed heir of all things. Not just one kingdom, but all kingdoms. Not just one planet, but the entire creation. God the Son. The writer here is quoting Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8. Where the Bible says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. That's what he means by he's become the heir of all things. Not only does the whole earth belong to Jesus, but the Bible tells us here that he created it. Jesus is the agent of creation. That's why John is very intentional to begin his gospel in the same words that the Bible begins with. In the beginning, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And, And John says in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Creation was created by the Word of God. The Logos of God. And Jesus is the Logos of God. God spoke and it was. Jesus was. At creation, speaking things into being, being the agent of creation. Jesus rules creation because he's the heir of all things, because he's uh, the creator of it, and because he sustains all things by his powerful word. The Bible tells us here that everything is sustained by his powerful word. Everything. Every galaxy that is moving throughout the universe is moving at his word. Every planet that is orbiting some kind of system is orbiting at his word. Our planet is rotating around its axis at the word of Jesus. Every tree that sprouts, every animal that moves on the earth, every creature of the ocean moves and lives at his word. Your heart and my heart beat at his word. He speaks and it is. Everything in the universe is sustained by his powerful word. Think about that. There is no more important word than the word of Jesus. There is no more powerful word than the word of Jesus. There is no word that matters more. He rules creation. Of all the voices that we hear, of all the voices that speak into our lives, none is more powerful than his. Of all the things that we read, of all the headlines that we see, none is truer than Jesus. Of all the counsel and the advice we seek, None is more pure, none heals more, none restores more than the word of Jesus. Of all the voices that that drive us, that anger us, that concern us, that frighten us, that compel us, there is no greater, more important voice than the voice of Jesus. He's better because he rules creation. And he's better because he redeems humanity. We are presented here with an exalted view of Christ. In these few four verses, we are given six declarations about Jesus. He's God's ultimate word. He's the heir of all things. He's the creator of the universe. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of God. He's the sustainer and ruler of all creation through his word. And there's the seventh one. But before we get to the seventh one, There's a little phrase that is all too important to miss. And it's the phrase that says, After he has provided purification for sins. What what an important phrase. In all of his glory, in all of his splendor, in all of his power and supremacy. The greatest news for us is that this exalted son, this creator of the universe, this one who sustains the universe with his word, this eternal one, came down to earth to rescue us. He entered our brokenness. He entered our desperation. He entered our sinfulness. And he came to redeem us. He came to rescue us. He came to be our Savior. It is in Jesus that we have redemption. It is in Jesus that we are forgiven. It is in Jesus that we are cleansed and renewed. It is in Jesus that we are reconciled to the Father. I teach a a class, Lesson 8 of the Perspectives on the Christian uh, on the World Christian Movement. Lesson 8 is a historical lesson that talks about uh, missionary movements. And, and I've often told the story of one of my favorite missionaries, William Carey. He, he was uh, an English um, pastor. I've been in the little church that he pastored in England. And um, he was a cobbler and a schoolmaster. And in 1792, he was, he was sent uh, by the Baptist Missionary Society the first missionary society uh, in modern times, uh, to India. And so he's often been considered the father of modern missions, the first Baptist missionary to international lands. But I discovered recently that there was someone who, who, who came before him. His name was George Leal. George Leal was a slave in Virginia. He was taken to Georgia where he was converted to Christ, he came to know Christ in 1773 in the church of his master, Henry Sharp. And then he became concerned with um, the spiritual condition of other slaves, and he asked permission if he could preach to them. And so they ordained him to preach to his fellow slaves. And then both he and his master uh, became convinced that they needed to side with the British in the Revolutionary War. And his master set him free in 1778. He was free from sin first, and then he was free from slavery. Then, in order to be evacuated with the British troops, he uh, obtained a loan and accepted the status of indentured servant to pay the passage for himself, his wife, and his children to go to Jamaica. They arrived in Jamaica in 1783, And he repaid, he worked hard to pay back his debt and become free. And he dedicated his life to sharing the gospel of freedom, the gospel of deliverance to people. He formed churches, he planted churches both in Jamaica and back in the United States. By 1814, he had produced either directly or indirectly some 8,000 believers that were baptized He earned the title of Negro Slavery's Prophet of Deliverance way before William Carey. And I thank God for men like George Leal. I thank God for the deliverance that brings to human souls freedom and makes them instruments of liberation in every aspect of life and society. Thank God for Jesus, who is our ultimate liberator, our Redeemer, our Savior. Jesus is better because he redeems humanity. It is then that we get to the seventh declaration of Jesus' nature here in these first four, four verses. And it's this. He sits at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus came to earth taking on humility. He died a cruel death on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and he sits on the throne. Our Redeemer lives. Our Redeemer rules. He is king. Psalm 110.1 was also referenced here. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. When our people go and share the gospel with others, we've, we've taught them a little tool. It's a bunch of little wiggle lines that you write on a napkin or any piece of paper, and it looks like this. And this is the gospel. Jesus came down, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, at the empty tomb, he ascended to heaven where he became king and he sits at the throne, and one day he's coming back. This is the gospel in a few lines that we share. Jesus redeems humanity. He redeemed us from sin at the cross, He redeemed us from death at the grave and he redeems us from the power of Satan from his throne in heaven every day. Jesus is better because he redeems us. This letter to the Hebrews is about Jesus. It's about the supremacy of Christ. It is the declaration that Jesus is better. And we've seen today that Jesus reveals God, Jesus rules creation and Jesus redeems humanity. My question to you today is what is your concept of Jesus? Is he some good moral teacher who, whose teachers can help you have a better life? Is he some benevolent but defeated figure that, that we feel some kind of pity for because he suffers so much, he was a good guy and they took advantage of him? Is he... One in a line of prophets, like Islam would tell us, that he's one of twelve prophets, one just as good as the other? Is he a little Jesus in your heart that, that entered your heart at some point to, to help you out with life? Or is he a big Lord and King that sits on his throne? Is he the one who rules your thoughts and your actions and your intentions that, that guides your steps into the future? who is Jesus to you I challenge you today if Jesus is better what difference is it making in your life will you open yourself up today to this Jesus will you let him grow your knowledge of him will you step into a deeper relationship with him that's what i want i I've studied about Jesus a lot. I've read the Bible a lot. But today, I want a deeper walk with him. I want a richer faith. I want him to be bigger in my life than anything else. What about you? Will you trust him as Lord and Savior if you've never done so? Will you open your mind and your heart to know more about him?